Hey guys, welcome to episode 34 of Next on the Platform. Uh, this week I'm joined by Travis Rogers, aka uh, Papa Bear Rogers on Instagram. How are you today, man? I'm doing good, man. Happy to be here. Um, thanks again for coming on. And I know today you've had a busy day. You're setting up for uh, a meet that you have coming up. Is that next weekend? Yeah, so we had the, the Kids Foundation job uh, yesterday, so this weekend with all the orders going out. And then next weekend is the launch with some of the shirts that go with that meet, and that's uh, No Luck 2, and that's at my gym in Salisbury, Maryland. Awesome, man. So a couple of questions straight off the bat. Um, you do this meet, is it every year, or is it a couple times a year you run it? And it's just like a, is it, it's not a, uh, a qualifier, it's just a casual um, meet, is that correct? Yeah, so I'm the USPA uh, state chairman for Maryland and Delaware. Uh, this is actually our second annual, and this was the first meet I ever hosted at the new gym. So I'm really, really excited to have it back for a second year. Um, had a lot, a lot of support for it. I think we've been sold out for six months. So it's been very anticipated meet. I'm very, very excited about it. Well, we just saw on Instagram, you sent me that post. It looks amazing. For a start, it looks uh, like you've done a really good job and, you know, the lights, the setup. Um, after, I mean, it wouldn't have been your first time running a meet last year. Is that correct? I was going to ask you what uh, what goes into running it and then what changes you made between uh, last year and this year. Um, I usually co-direct with a lot of people just because, uh, especially at places like my gym, it gets so busy being the host trying to help out and get turns with refereeing and announcing. Usually we're running like a charity booth at the same time. So unless I have an extreme amount of helpers, uh, I usually have a co-director with me and that's either uh, George Shafora from USPA North Carolina or Bobby Bowen, which is BFG powerlifting who runs USPA um, in Pennsylvania. Hmm. So those are two guys I'm very, very close with. They pop down, um, help me out just so that way if I get crazy busy, like I got somebody reliable to fall back on, to run iron comp while I'm doing some other tidbits around the gym. Um, but as far as what goes into it, man, um, it's a lot. It's a lot as understatement of the year. But um, I think especially when it comes to like meets in my home state of Delaware, which we threw our first one last year. And then of course my gym in Salisbury, Maryland, which is about 30 minutes from my hometown. Um, you feel a little added pressure. I don't think necessarily by your surrounding company and community, um, which I care deeply about, but also just because it's it's your place, man. Like when you have people come from all over and, you know, you have people who see you on Instagram and who want to just come to, and do the meet because it's it's literally your meet. Like, you know, I have people who contact me and be like, hey, man, like I've really been holding out to do one of your meets. Like I see you on Instagram and following you for a couple of years. And like, I just want to come down and do one of your meet. Like, you know, that that means something to me. That means a lot to me. So when people do travel that far, like I, I try to make it, the best I can. Mm. I get what you mean, man. Cause even just like, uh, you know, when you take a, a friend to a new gym or have, you know, I've had friends over at the home gym, you just feel the pressure, um, you know, make sure they have a good session or that they're, you know, they feel comfortable. So I can imagine, um, hosting your own meet is that times a thousand. Um, I know I have to imagine there's so much more in planning a meet than what you would even like what you'd even expect. Is it the stuff that you can't see, like the paperwork and the applications and the, the money side? Like, is it that stuff you can't physically see that is the harder part or is like like actually setting up and moving stuff um, what you find really difficult? I think that as long as you have a reliable way and reliable people you're working with to contain the cash flow and 
you know, account for, you're going to pay for your referees. You're going to pay for your, your spotter loader staff. You're going to pay for the outsource. If you need a banner, uh, you have to pre-order your awards and all that stuff. You know, all the little stuff that goes into payments, book hotels for referees that are coming from out of state, um, all that kind of stuff. As long as you're reliable and keep on top of that, I really don't think that's a huge issue as long as the meat does well, as far as selling points. Um, I would say your first couple of times with setup and breakdown is a little nerve wracking for sure. But like down at the cave, like where I'm at, man, we got it down to a science. Like um, the other reason meat directors love to come co-host with me at my gym is because I, you know, I'm an experienced competitive lifter. I'm an experienced ref. Um, I'm getting to be an experienced meat director. So it's like, I look at it from different aspects of not only like being on one side of the platform in a blue shirt, but also as a lifter and what I would want to see. So I think once you do it a couple of times, you really get it down quickly and also efficiently for what the lifters want to see. Like they want the meat to go fast. They want your spotters and loaders to be reliable. They want to have a certain flow of the meat. Um, we always try to do really circular flows as far as like in one way, out the other way to keep the circle moving and not have like a giant pileup of people at like the head judges table and stuff. Um, but just little stuff like that, that people don't think about that makes the meat overall um, smoother. I mean, that's probably one of the biggest parts. And I, I mean, I pride myself in a lot of what we do as far as that goes. Mm, yeah. They don't want to have 20 minute waits between their bench press attempts. Um, no, definitely not. Yeah. So no, that absolutely. That's, you know, when you think about it like that, I mean, there's a lot of things to consider taking, you know, and plan and all that sort of thing. It must be um, a lot of pressure. So obviously good luck running that next week. Um, you did mention uh, the Children's Foundation. I'd love to hear more about um, what you guys do with that. You said that, you know, you had the drop come out yesterday. Um, but yeah, just just uh, if you can explain it to me a little bit. Yeah, sure. Um, so I've had the Children's Foundation for going on year three now. It's a 501c3, uh, both state and federal. Um, and what we do is we provide money, items, food um, for kids in need and also athletes in need. So um, I actually am a high school teacher. I teach 10th grade and 12th grade English. So when I'm not not at the gym, I'm actually at the high school working. So that's why it's often very hard, especially like I know you and me have been back and forth trying to get a podcast time lined up just because I got so much stuff going on. Hmm. But um, what I do with that is, uh, especially like drops like we have in the winter time. Most of that will go towards coats, blankets, and like fleece lined beanies for all the kids who like walk to school, who live in, you know, underprivileged housing, all those kinds of things. Mm. That's incredible, man. So actually using powerlifting to give back to kids, that's awesome. And obviously like, you know, like you said, you're a high school teacher. I think that was one of the first things we ever spoke about was I think I mentioned you in one of the episodes I think I mentioned you, it came up about how powerlifting can be uh, intimidating and I'd come across <laughs> your Instagram. I, I remember this now. I'd come across your Instagram previously and I was like, I think I mentioned it. I think it was on my episode with Amanda. Um, and it was, I was, it was, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you've seen um, Papa Bear Rogers on Instagram. Like he's like, he's a really scary looking dude. And I, and one of my listeners DM me and they were like, um, this is so funny. Uh, Travis is my coach. I sent it to him, uh, you know, and I, then I think it might've been your, your, is it your wife? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, DM'd me on one of the stories and was like, he's such a big softy. Like he's a high school teacher, like a little teddy bear. And, and I thought that was very funny. Um, that's how we 
we got into contact and, and from then I was like, oh, we need to do an episode then. Um, yeah, no, but, I do remember this because I had a bunch of my friends at the gym like, dude, do you see this? They think you're like six foot five and some giant like hard ass. Mm. And I was like, I mean, and of course, like you got contacted by people who know me, man. Like I'm, I'm a giant pushover, dude. I'm such a softy. Like when we have home meets and stuff and like seeing like kids I've literally like taught or compete or like people I've raised doing their first meet, man, it's, it's hard. Like, dude, I've cried at meets before in front of people. Like it's just, oh. it's one of those emotional things, man. I don't, I mean, I, I mean, honestly to go off track, I don't think, uh, being emotional publicly is, it takes away from any sort of toughness. I think if anything, it's the opposite, but, um, you know, cause being able to cry and be emotional around people, that's a pretty tough, um, in my opinion, a pretty tough trait, but, um, yeah, man. I mean, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad I made the, that wrong, uh, uh judgment. Cause now we, we get to do the episode together. Um, but yeah, that's how it all started. So one of the most interesting things to me, uh, about, from what I can see on your Instagram is particularly uh, variations of the comp lifts you like to do. I've seen you do deficits and trap bar and the different bench bars and the canvas squat bar and all that. And it seems to be, I don't know if you're in like a quite a long off season, but it seems to be a lot of the time actually where it's actually unusual if I see you lifting on a competition bar at this point. So it's yeah, like, no, no I, I want to know yeah. what your, uh, what the philosophy is, because I can, you know, I have my own opinions on that, and um, I'm personally a big fan of getting off the competition lifts, like exactly, you know, like not doing pause bench or blah 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 in the off season. But uh, let me know what you think about that, and how come, yeah, like how come you spent so much time with so many different variations? Because it's not just one. There's I've seen like quite a few, like quite a big variation of variations. Yeah, and I'll talk about all three uh, if you'd like. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think one of the biggest ones, obviously, most people mo- notice on my page right away is probably deadlifts. Um, they'll hardly ever see me pull a normal deadlift. Like uh, th- me pulling a, a deadlift is pretty rare um, as far as just a normal, uh, just straight up bar weights, and that's the only variation to it. Um, for me, um, <coughs> I always responded much better to things that, taught me as far as deadlift goes like grit uh perseverance like if i if i really didn't feel like i grew a lot doing like you know four by fours or five by fives um so for me like ascending variations was always like my go-to once i really figured out what worked for me so like a common like a common workout for me would be like an ascending five by two um and jumping probably like um I don't know, uh, 10 kilos at a time. So mm-hmm. like, for example, um, the other night I'd run like, uh, 606 for two paws, 628 for two paws, 661 for two paws, um, 683, and then probably end at like a 705. And that would be like my set for the night. Mm. Um, now for me, uh, I definitely keep my pauses. I try to keep them lower. I'm usually like, uh, inch and a half off the floor to at the max, like mid shin. Um, I definitely don't believe in like higher towards the knee, like almost like you see some people pause, like almost like a rack pull style. And for me that I never felt that was beneficial because you've already established your starting point. Let's so like, uh, if you can, before I no, forget, go ahead. sorry, before I forget, cause I have a, uh, a thing with those cause I've spoken about it before. I was going to ask you specifically a conventional deadlifter pausing 
like near the knee. Like at that point, it's got to be almost completely useless because I think you could sit there almost on counterweight, right? Because you get high enough where you could just literally sit back and to some degree, just your center of mass will balance out with the bar. So like if you were going to do a pause conventional, you'd be doing it really low, right? And at, at the point you get to the knee, because locking out, if you have a decent deadlift on a conventional is not hard. So no, no. At, at the point where you get to the knee, like why even, would you say there's any point pausing that high at all? For me, for me and what I typically train in my kind of training philosophy, I would say no. Uh, like I said, I usually keep mine right above the floor to mid shin at the maximum. Mm. Yeah, no, I just wanted to ask you that before I forgot, but yeah, man, continue. Um, so that's usually a go-to for me. Um, and then I usually rotate that with um, the probably the one I get the most credit for. Like you'll, I'll hear more people talk about, which would be uh, my deficit pulls. Mm. Um, I pull with an extremely rounded thoracic spine. Um, I pull with a lot of spinal flexion. I get a lot of shit for it. Um, mostly from people who don't understand the difference between, you know, that kind of flexion and lumbar. Yeah. Um, it's never anyone, idea, it's never anybody yeah. smart or strong. <laughs> no, no, it's not, it never is. And I mean, I catch shit for it all the time regardless. So, I mean, of course that, you know, I just kind of ignore all that stuff. But, I mean, my friends joke with me, my other nickname besides Papa Bear is cat back daddy. So, uh, <laughs> everyone loves to give me shit about that. Um, but I mean, especially deficit, like people don't understand that if you learn and perfect that movement, as far as like locking down that starting position and starting and ending at the same starting position, like as long as there's no like tilt or bend while the movement's being carried out, like it's actually an extremely safe way to deadlift. Mm. And a lot of people don't understand that or read up on it. So, um, now as far as like coaching those and like programming wise, like I would never, like, for example, if I was starting with a fresh lifter, I would never say, Hey, look at me, try to deadlift like me. Like that's not, that's definitely not a deadlift style. I would mm. optimize to teach people, you know what I mean? But like, as far as my leverages go, like that's where I'm strongest and that's what works for me. Mm. But I would, I wouldn't necessarily try to teach that outright for sure. Like I've, I've programmed myself for a while, but I have worked with a couple other coaches and even they would like try to fix it. And then my deadlift would get significantly weaker. And they were like, you know, it's, it's just your thing. Like that's, that's how you pull. That's how you're comfortable. That's how you're safest. Mm. So, so you're quite an outlier in that way, because a lot of people are the opposite where if they go away from the comp pulls and they go to variations, then they see their deadlift get weaker, but you're almost the opposite. Um, yeah, did- actually in most of my, most of my variation pulls max my, uh, match my normal pull. That's incredible. How do you how do you peak like that? Do you do heavy variations right into your peak? Dude, I'll I'll stay on variation bars and variation lifts till about like two to three weeks out. Wow. So do you find that maybe because um, obviously this is a the way that you train, you're uh, sacrificing some specificity, well, quite a bit of it actually, for what makes you stronger in terms of overall kilos, do you think that, um, wow, I've lost my train of thought. Sorry. Um, you're obviously, yeah. So while that time away from the, the comp lifts, right. Um, you're on these variations. Do you think that if you spent more time, uh, with a combination of the two, like when you run into a peak, are you doing like, for example, a comp single and then back down like pauses or 
um, deficits or whatever? Or are you doing like, like you mentioned, like top single with a deficit and then back downs are all deficit too? Or do you sort of like slowly integrate it in? Or do you just do variations right up until a couple of weeks out and then comp stuff? Um, and do you find that you lose your ability to like, uh, you know, grind through a, a really heavy deadlift on the third attempt or, you know, like, because you've sacrificed quite a bit of specificity. Do you find that you actually experience the drawbacks of that in comp? That was the question I was going to ask you. I faded out. Uh, de- definitely not. Um, so, for example, like, I think, of course, like having the fortitude to put yourself in a in a worse starting position for a deadlift such as like a, a higher deficit pull, man, if you can grind out almost the same weight in that deficit pull, like you pretty much have that locked on a comp pull. Mm. Like, so, so a thing I've been doing recently, I'd probably say the last two couple training blocks, um, one was leading into my last meet for King of Prussia. Um, I would do a heavy deficit pull and then I would kick the mats away and pull it for an, another single from the floor. In the same set? Yeah. Wow, I've I've never even and how does that feel? Like, does the the second one feel easier because the mats are gone, or harder, or the same because of the uh, fatigue? Positioning easier, fatigue harder. Mm. So so it's like if you could pull it for that second one from the floor, you knew it was unlocked. Mm. Like you it was just. And I think I'm a big mental lifter when it comes to that. Like, I know if I can still pull that after that first one, like I don't have to worry about it. Mm. So. In my head, there's two There's two options with the, that type of training. And obviously, the good one is what's paid off for you. So, I'm imagining you do all these variations, right? And, and not just for you, just any lifter who does a lot of variation stuff. And you come into comp and you get there. And because you're doing comp lifts, they feel easier because you're not on a deficit. You're not pausing. You're not doing tempo, blah, blah, blah. And so, it feels easier or... I see it going another way where you have done so many variations that you're not used to the positioning because uh, obviously it's such a skill, you know, hitting those third lifts is such a skill. Uh, you're not used to the positioning when you, you know, you slightly kick the bar away on deadlifts or you, you know, rush the port or like, you know, something like that. And then you get to the point where you can't uh, grind through a rep because maybe you haven't spent enough time doing it so obviously for you it's uh it's the first one where everything is just easier do you think for most people it'd be the latter where you know they've done so many variations maybe they got a lot bigger they didn't get their elbow tendonitis or whatever they whatever the variation helps them with they get to comp and the positioning might be easier easier in terms of like getting it off the floor or whatever but then they're in a position that they haven't spent a lot of time in that past year at some point because they've been doing a lot of variations and they they can't grind through it because i imagine like you're obviously an outlier in this case but i think would most people be the second where they just simply don't have because i feel like most people already have enough time at competitions who do comp lifts all year and not in terms of hitting prs but in terms of just lifting to standards like for some people that's quite a challenge so you think no i totally understand that if those sorts of people did more variations. Maybe they get stronger in the off season proportionately, but do you think that they would just struggle even more? That's why I would definitely be more inclined to kind of push more towards that second option I was doing where I'm telling you, like I'd pull the first 
the first single out of variation and then the second one of the same weight from the floor. So that way you get used to both the variation and still not losing touch and making that uh, traditional uh, competition style feel foreign. Mm. Well, it's a, it's a very, like, I literally have never heard of that. I mean, I've heard of doing a, du- a like a double and treating it as if two singles, but I've never heard of changing um, the variation between the two. That's, I mean, it's very interesting. I mean, if it's working for you, it's working and it's just, yeah, not something that I've heard of. So like right towards the end of the last prep I did for King of Prussia um, for Summer Slam, um, I had a lot of people actually talking a lot about what, what you and me are talking about and would DM me and ask me questions because they too had never seen it before. So I would run these things called like opener gauntlets or second gauntlets, right? And it would be whatever I was going to take for an opener-ish or a second, right? And I would pause it. I would pull it from a deficit and then my third one, I would kick it from the floor. It would all be the same weight for whatever, whatever attempt I was choosing. Mm. And I would literally call them deadlift gauntlets and people would message me like, dude, I've, I've never seen somebody do this kind of stuff in the same exact section. And um, I don't know. I think, I think for me, especially there's something to it now, is it something I would program and recommend for like all my lifters? Absolutely not. But I mean, I think people who kind of fit that more outlier line and get more from variations and enjoy those challenges as far as training go, and it provides mental stimulus for them because of that difficulty, I think it would be beneficial. You would just have to approach it in a way that would serve them as far as whatever level lifter they are, as far as elite or intermediate. Mm. And um, I imagine you have a lot of fun. Like it sounds like a pretty fun way to train. Oh yeah. It's, it's a blast. I mean, that's probably one of the reasons I get, I get talked to about it, not because they're like, you know, oh, what's the the secret theory behind it? More like, dude, that looks that looks fun. Yeah, how can I start doing? You know, like how can I put that in my program? Because you right. know, some sometimes it gets a bit tedious doing the same. You know, if you're a lifter that needs so much specificity, I can imagine that gets boring at some point because you know variations can be a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, I mean that variation, and you're doing variations of variations, so that. Uh, that must be entertaining for you and for people watching. Um, I certainly have a lot of fun watching your Instagram videos. I love the the hype and the or the focus at the same time. Um, I think I think people struggle with that um, is getting you know finding their fine line between hype and focus because I feel you know I've I've in the past missed because I was too focused and not not enough hyped but I know a lot of people will go the other way and they're way too hyped. People are screaming the ammonia, their slaps or whatever. And then they just, you know, they're not even thinking about what they're doing and they'll misgroove it badly or whatever. Um, how do you, how have you in the past? Cause obviously you're very dialed in and you kind of know where that is for you. Um, how would you say, you know, you got there or what helped you get to that point of um, finding that, that, that kind of that gray area that you can sit in? I think it's a, it's really strange for me too, to think about because like as a, as a younger lifter, like back when I was competing in 181, cause I've been competing for probably six years now. Um, back in my 181 days, I was such like a wild lifter. Like uh, I would always scream and freak out and like people love turning in, like tuning into videos of me, just like wilding the fuck out and just like losing my mind. And that was how I lifted it. And I loved it. It was fun. Um, and it was just kind of part of my personality and who I was. Um, but as an older lifter, I think, um, I think I've grown out of it a little bit. I definitely am a lot less hype. Like I might get a little bark in or, you know, 
seem extra hyper focused and aggressive focused, but like I don't really yell as much as I used to near at all. Um, I'd say the one I, I yell the most on is bench actually. And it's actually cause I hate bench. I hate mm-hmm. bench with a passion. It's my least favorite lift. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about the one I need the most to get fired up for. Um, I'm much more confident in a squat and in a deadlift than I am a bench. So the extra hype in the bench really helps me get fired up. But I mean, I've talked about this in a couple other podcasts as far as like training to trigger songs and music, almost like a, uh, a swimmer or a track runner would be uh, acquiring sound stimulus to like the shot of a gun, mm. right? When they hear that gun go off, they know it's go time. It's muscle memory. Um, I think a lot of people can do that when they start programming themselves for like songs, like, you know, okay, I play this song during my opener. I play this song during my second, I play this song during my third. And I think as long as you can utilize and kind of hone into those things, um, that's helped me a lot with focus because I have a lot of people who like, follow my uh, Spotify playlist and ask me what song I'm playing in the background. And it's like, I try to provide those things for people too. Um, just because, I mean, those things really have worked for me. Music's really changed me. The sport has really changed me and kind of changed the way I think about things. Mm. Yeah, I absolutely agree with the, the, the point on music specifically. Um, I have a, my hype song is um, it's a Kanye song. It's black skinhead. I'm not a big Kanye fan, but uh, Black Skinhead is it's it's been in a couple movies. I mean, it's in like Suicide Squad in one of the hype scenes. Um, it's and yeah, I completely agree. It as soon as it starts playing, like I cannot listen to it. Like for example, it's in one of my like day playlists, and if it shuffles on in the car, I have to skip it. I cannot listen to it unless I'm about to hit a PR because it triggers like such a huge amount of like flight of uh, fight or flight and adrenaline. Um, that just listening to it during the day would be stupid because it just gets me like completely fired up. I can't control it. So I save that and I might only listen to it six times, six, seven times a year. But like when I do, it's an unreal, it's like the pre-workout, it's like ammonia all in one, like hits you all at once. Um, so yeah, I'm of a believer that music absolutely is, is a programmable thing, but also saving a couple of songs or just that one song for a very particular moment can help you immensely um, because all of a sudden you don't have to generate the hype. You, it's there. Like you might have to, or, you know, try to work yourself up by yelling or getting slapped or whatever. But if you use music properly and you don't overdo it, you can just put a song on and that hype that you needed is there. Like, do you, like you get what I mean? Like it's, it's, effortless hype in, in a way it's- yeah no i totally understand it's it's funny you say that because like um i actually think i'm right gonna write my next elite fts article on this because i've been writing for elite here lately um one of the things i i want to really talk about is i mean and, and it has that similar effect to what you're saying too because uh like there would be a couple songs i play like if i'm going for like a pr single or a pr double or a variation pr on like a squat and like, it's funny because we, we hooked up a, a nice new PA in the, in the gym. And it's like, as soon as that song comes on over the PA, everyone's like, oh shit. Mm. Like they, they know it's PR time. Like they know what that means. Like no one says shit. Like they know when that song comes on, like that's it. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah. But I mean, it's, and it's funny because it's not like I tell people it's like, it's like the, I think when people hear that, they also start to form that same relationship and reaction to it. Mm. You know what I mean? Like their fight or flight endorphins start flying because they're, they know they're about to watch that happen for someone. Mm. So I think it's, it's so weird how groups of training people 
start to like synchronize based over like something that's meant for just a particular someone. And now it's like transversing that and kind of like literally affecting everyone in the room. Mm. You'll notice that even with like technique. Um, so I, I trained at home for a long time and now I go to a powerlifting gym. Um, and you'll just notice even stuff like the way they set up their bench or the way, you know, just like very certain, like specific things. They like a lot of it is similar and they all have different coaches. I know a lot have the same coach, but quite a few of them have different coaches and yet they still mirror each other's technique. I think just by accident. So like, yeah, training around, you know, in a certain group, cause it's a tight, tight group. I imagine how like your gym is. Um, so everyone talks and all that, but I think, yeah, just like mirroring, you know, each other's music or even, uh, you know, yeah, technical stuff. Um, it can be like, it can be pretty useful, um, you know, but yeah, I get what you mean. And, and I think like, I guess, like you said, those people hear that song and they're like, you know, Travis is going for a PR, you know, like, oh shit. Cause I feel like when someone's going for a PR, I'm not talking to anyone. Like, I expect everyone, not when I go for PR, but like I'll see someone about to go for one and I like get people to shush and like be like, oh, look, you know, watch, like be quiet. I think it's like when that happens, like when the big boys are in the gym, we've got some, uh, I don't know if you know of Andrew Cooper. Yeah, yeah, I do. He So he trains it at my gym or I train at his gym, whatever, however you want to put it. Um, so when he's in there benching, you know, like you just, you just quieten down and like, you know, you watch him or whatever. Um but yeah, no, I totally get that. And like, um, those smaller powerlifting gyms can be so useful in that way. How did you, um, how did you end up with your, your, your gym? Um, so I, before I, before I was a full-time English teacher, I taught 10th grade for half the day and I taught strength and fitness for half the day. Mm. So it was like an advanced version of PE, but you had to pass health and you had to pass PE first before you could take my class as an elective, right? So it was basically PE, but it was only in the weight room. And it went over like the basics of like nutrition, cardiovascular system, um, basic muscle groups, things like that. Plus taught you how to like log workouts, go through a bunch of stuff, work with percentages. It was very like stripped down basic, but I mean, it was still a great course and I had a lot of fun teaching it with the kids. Um, so I had a group of powerlifters. I started after school program. Um, we didn't get much funding from the school. So me and the history teacher, uh, were funding like all these trips with all these boys. My wife would help chaperone out into USPA meets and RPS meets, uh, depending on like timeline and money we had. Mm. Um, and then one day I was like, Hey, we had a giant budget cut. Me and the other guy are broke teachers. Like we can't afford to do this. And then that kind of morphed into the children's foundation. But then also I moved all our stuff out of the high school that I had bought to share with the kids. So like I had bought myself a pair of kilos, but I stored it at the gym so all my kids could use it too. So I moved all that stuff into a barn I bought off of Craigslist. Mm. Like it was a chicken coop. Like an actual barn. Wow. <laughs> like it was a, literally a barn. Yeah, it was literally a barn that they had cemented the floors and like refurbished for like storage units but it was definitely like a two-story chicken coop um and it was complete with cornfields and all that stuff so this was the original bear cave um and i mean no 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 bathrooms no 
HVAC, like no, no AC, no heat, no nothing. So like, I mean, we would pull in the winter when it was 22 degrees in there and we would squat in wraps when it was a hundred plus in there in the summer. Um, definitely made me a better lifter and a grittier lifter for sure. Mm. Yeah. Tough um, conditions. Oh yeah. Yeah. So when we, when we would go to nationals and stuff like, dude, it was a walk in the park. Mm. Like, I'm like, dude, I've been, I've been sweating my ass off self-wrapping my knees at 101 degree weather and you're in here in the ac like this is the best thing ever this sounds like um, variation stuff but with weather yeah yeah pretty much i guess i always find some way to do a variance of it or an extreme version but um so after that i had that for a while and then i filled the barn up very quickly we bought another side of the barn and took out a wall so we had two sides um it was probably about 2,000 square feet wasn't that big um, but it was enough for a couple racks, a couple combos, two deadlift platforms. It was enough. We had a monolift in there that I had to rebuild and put together for like six months until we finally got it able to work. Um, but then we found a place that was an old office building about a year and a half, two years later, um, which is where we are now, which is the official bear cave, which we actually have like a real gym. Um, we moved all our stuff in there, gutted the whole place. It was an office building. So we gutted the whole thing. Um, bought one side, rented another side that had a warehouse and roll up door, moved everything in, bannered all the walls like the old barn. So it kind of looked and resembled like the old place. And that's how it went. It went from a high school to a barn into a barn to an office building. Well, it's, I've heard of gym setup stories, but that certainly is one of the most interesting ones and how it came about. You Usually it's like, oh, I had a home gym and we kind of moved it into a gym. I had some friends, but that's a diff- that's a whole different journey that you went on that's um and that's really cool that you were helping out i did um i was gonna say when you you started talking about what you had uh, taught the kids i was glad the first thing you said was nutrition and not how to squat bench and deadlift um because i think i like i'm i'm all for like you know teenagers young teenagers learning how to move uh but there are people that's like oh everyone should learn how to squat bench and deadlift it's like, yeah, well, a lot of young kids want to play sport and a lot of the time those three lifts aren't going to help with sport. If anything, it will do the opposite. If they start getting super strong on those, I know it did for me, had the opposite effect on my sports performance. Um, so yeah, it was nice to hear you say nutrition and not like how to deadlift you know, safely or whatever. I'm sure right. you t- I'm sure you taught that as well, but it wasn't the first thing, you know, it wasn't the, you know, because I think there's more than just, I think there's m- saying that all teenagers and young kids should learn to squat, bench and deadlift. I think while it might be true, like it could, you know, it could be a good thing and I would never discourage it. Um, but I think it's a little reductionist, like there's more to it. You know, they should also learn how to do isometric, you know, you know, accessories and, you know, how to move you know, how, you know, or doing exercises that would actually help their joint health and, and that sort of thing. Cause most kids are going to play sport. So there's more to it than, you know, just squatting, benching and deadlifting in a lot of cases. Cause I do see it on Instagram. A lot of people are like, Oh, you know, all kids need to learn how to do this. And it's like, you know, yeah, no. a lot of kids want to have fun as well and, 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 and play sport. But I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not one of those kids. I wish I started lifting earlier. I wish someone taught me how to squat, bench, and deadlift when I was 13, but um, I didn't, so <laughs> can't complain. <laughs> but yeah, man, that's an awesome story. Uh, and now now it's the barn is... Is uh, is it the cave now, you said? 
Yeah, yeah. So the barn, the barn is actually in Delmar, Maryland, about 15 minutes away from our actual gym. Mm. So it's funny because like I'll still drive by it. I'm like, damn, man, like that place, even though our new place obviously has, you know, three bathrooms, it's 4,000 square feet, it has parking, a cement parking, <laughs> you mm. lie, like it's, it's nice, but it's like, there's, you know, you can never replace some of those things, man. There's a lot of grit in a barn setting. And it was like, you know, I had, I had a lot of my best training sessions in there. Mm. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, even like driving past some of the old gyms I went to, it's just like the euphoria, you know, seeing where you used to train, even, even at the time it might've been shit, but you like, you look back and you're like, Oh well, like, you know, that's where it started or, uh, it's, yeah, a, no, it's a nice feeling. Yeah, man. And it's just like, you know, it, it kind of changed me and made me who I am today. And it's like, you know, I look at that and I'm, you know, it makes me think too. Cause like when I have hard training sessions or I have off days, I'm like, you know, like I'm, I'm very fortunate to be supported by the group of people I am. And I'm very fortunate to be able to do what I've done. And it's like, you know, this, this isn't hard. Like I, I've done mm. hard. Like mm. I've been through hard and this isn't hard. I think I was scrolling through your Instagram. Um, and I think I read something about, uh sobriety if you're cool to i don't know how open you are about that sort of thing is that is that correct or am i because i was no, no re- you're, you're you're correct mm, is that something that you're open to talk about or no oh yeah yeah for sure um, um yeah i mean i was i was scrolling through a couple of days ago and i was you know writing notes and stuff and that was one of the things i i jotted down i thought that might be interesting how is um how has that affected your lifting yeah i mean it, you know i would assume in a good way um yeah yeah yeah, absolutely no i didn't i didn't start lifting uh or really powerlifting until i was sober so like i i can't identify with um you know what was what was not sober lifting like compared to sober lifting really Mm. but um i would say uh and i've wrote about this in some articles it's a really it's really sick when you say it out loud and think about it because it really is trading one addiction for another So, I mean, I, I still think like part of the people who are drawn to powerlifting and who are recovering addicts and are in recovery are, you know, it's, it still has properties of what you're trying so hard to forget and move past, which is why it both helps and hinders you in a way. Mm. I, um, I mean, I, I know little, so forgive me, but I have to imagine and this might be, this actually might be wrong, but to some degree, some of the uh, chemical release from lifting would, to some degree, mirror uh, what you might experience with other stuff. I, I honestly don't know because um, you just mentioned, you know, they have some of the same drawbacks. So how is, uh, what do you mean by that? I would say less like the mirroring of the release of chemicals and more so the idea of like that, um, like that thrill seeking. Okay. Like yeah. that version of it for sure. You know mm. what I mean? Like, mm. uh, depending on, you know, and I can't speak for all people in recovery as far as what they were taking, but as far as uppers versus downers, like obviously powerlifting being more of an upper, as far as that hype and that fight or flight release endorphin. Um, but I mean, for me, it's like, you know, it's, it's both, something that takes away from that and something that adds to it. And I mean, it's no matter how hard you try to put that behind you. I mean, there's still things about powerlifting that heavily drawn you back to that. Like, of course, you know, PEDs and things like that. So, I mean, yeah, you could be sober in one way and not in the other. And I've 
you know, grappled with that myself. And it's just a very weird and hard thing to grasp, not only as a person, but, you know, kind of the morals and steps you take to move away from those things that still feel like they're never going to leave you no matter what you do. Mm. Yeah. Cause I've heard, I've heard some people, you know, like you said, um, it's trading one for another. And I think when I hear, when I hear people say it's like young kids, you know, and they, they say it quite lightheartedly, maybe on social media, they're like, Oh, you know, uh, yeah, the gym's a healthy addiction. And I think that statement is just inherently wrong. I think addiction in any form is is going to be unhealthy to some degree, obviously some more than others. But I think, you know, because the word addiction implies some form of unhealthiness. Um, and when people will say, I'm addicted to the gym, well, then I think, you know, wh- what about the, the body dysmorphia or, you know, the potential eating disorders? You know, the stuff that comes with, the stuff that I've certainly dealt with that comes with even powerlifting, which is quite a uh, low... Uh, I would say it has little effect compared to what bodybuilding would on your mental health um, for some people. So when I hear people say, you know, oh, I'm addicted to the gym, but it's, you know, it, it's it's a good addiction. I think, yeah, it, it, there's, there's always going to be some degree of it that's not healthy, you know, because even I wouldn't say, you know, I'd say I was probably addicted to it. Um, and I certainly experience the drawbacks of having a bad session and you just, you know, feel like shit for the rest of the day or it, it, the upside of it is, oh, I've got, you're in prep and you know, in six days you have this big single and all you can do is think about it or, you know, so there's certainly ups and downs, but I don't think anyone should strive at least teenagers. Cause you're in, you know, such a vulnerable and developing state. Nobody should be driving to be addicted to it. I think it's good to be consistent and persistent and, and you know, driven and all that, of course. But I think when you start viewing addiction as a good thing, I think at some point it comes back to bite you in the ass. Absolutely, man. Um, I, I, you hit the nail on the head, man. I completely agree with that. And I think, uh, you know, it's, it's hard because it's a lot of, um, you know, do, do as I say, not as I do because because you know i would i would encourage the same thing you're saying you know like that's something especially young teenagers and young adults shouldn't aspire to be but i mean i'd be you know pot calling the kettle black if i said i wasn't doing the same thing i'm telling you not to do i had a young lifter i think he's 16 or 17 i had him ask me he's like oh can you do like a, a nutrition plan for me and i was like yeah i can But like, you know, what are your macros right now? You know, as someone who's dealt with some form of an eating disorder uh, in the last few years, I was like, well, hang on, you know, you're quite young. He was the age that I started, you know, dealing with it. And I was like, hang on a second. Like, you know, what are your macros? What do you eat right now? He lives at home. Mom cooks dinner. I said, all right, well, there's dinner done. You know, you don't have to ever worry about dinner. Let's what do you eat the rest of the day? I was like, okay, why don't we try these snacks? And like, you know, cause in Australia we have like some companies will make like, you know, their, their product and then they have like a protein version of it. So like we have these milk drinks and then the, the protein version. I was like, okay, well, why don't we sub this for this? And I was like, you know, and tell me how you start feeling now. Cause I was just trying to avoid writing, uh, a nutrition plan and, and other coaches might disagree. Oh, you know, just give them what they want. But it's like, I feel almost responsible to look out for him, you know, because I'm 19 and he's 17, I think. And it's like, uh, it would be, I feel like it would be 
irresponsible of me to not be like, hey, while of course I'll give you nutrition advice and if you really want a nutrition plan, like I'll give it to you. But like these these are the potential things that can happen and it does happen. And I only worry because I feel like it's happening more and more now is, you know, getting eating disorders, you know, because of social media or because they get into lifting really early and it's like very in the stage of a very influential part of their life or whatever. And I was like, yeah, so, you know, I'll give you nutrition advice. And of course, I'll, you know, the, the programming, there's no issues there. He can follow the program down to the T and be really, you know, particular with that. But I think nutrition, because of what it can do, uh, is something that I'd like to, you know, maybe he waits till he's 18 or like a little bit more into his lifting to career before he starts, um, you know, following a nutrition plan because, you know, he doesn't, he's not competing. He just wants to get stronger and he's still at school. And I'm just like, Hey, you know, you're still so young. Let's get you as many gains as we can just eating, you know, roughly. And then if you decide that you want to go that down that road, I'd be more than happy to do it for you. And I think promoting this, like, cause now social media promotes this thing. It's like, Oh, I'm, you know, I never miss a session. I never miss a rep. You know, I never miss a meal. I stay home from parties to eat this food. I, you know, oh, I don't drink this, you know, I'll get the diet Coke or whatever. And it's like all that stuff might be good, but there are a lot of, and while it might be good for some people, there are a lot of people who it's going to have a really bad effect on. And I just think it's, it's, it's not a flex to say that you never miss a meal. It's, it sounds cool. But like, I have to imagine people like that are probably struggling with eating disorders that you don't see. So I just think, yeah, I just wanted to get that off my chest because I just think that's um, something probably people might overlook potentially. No, and I mean, I'm really glad you said the thing about, you know, young lifters, especially with me being a teacher. Like, um, of course, I have a lot of students ask me. I have a lot of kids in my class. Like, you know, um, so I... And I also work for the USPA Powerlifting Foundation. So I'm the East Coast uh, ambassador. I'm the board member. I'm on the board committee. Mm. Um, so I, I sponsor a kid right now um, and who's an absolutely phenomenal lifter, insanely gifted kid, 15 years old, setting national and American records. Like he's just incredible. Um, just won his first drug test at nationals. Um, and I'm on my way to sponsoring my second kid. And we have a board meeting this Wednesday on a vote for him after his application to see if he's going to pass. And I, I have a strong feeling he's going to, but, you know, like working with these kids and like, which means the world to me. And, you know, some of the first things I try is like, is like what you're saying is like, cause you, you, you want these kids to succeed and you don't want them to make the same mistakes you had to make, you know, starting out in the sport. Or, or some of the mistakes they're seeing that are promoted so hard on Instagram and social, like you're saying, you know, yeah, you know, I want my kids to work with a proper nutritionist. Like if that's what they really want to do and take competing seriously, like, you know, I want them to talk to me and be open about like, you know, what they, what they think about drug use, you know, what they see and what they idolize, you know, that's hard for them, mm. you know? And I always talk to my kids and, and I have a couple of people like my, my gym is very close to the college. Um, so I have like Salisbury football players come work out on my gym 
And, you know, the first thing I say, I was like, you know, like, I'll always be upfront. I'll always be open. I'll always be honest with you and keep it real with you. And I was like, you know, if you have questions about PEDs, if you, if you're worried about somebody, if you like, like, dude, I'm always open to talk and I'll always be honest with you and always tell you like, you know, what I think, you know, what's best. And of course, like I always tell the guys, I'm like, yo, like it's a, it's a one-way door, man. Like once you open that door, you can't go back. Mm. is this so garrett like, that you were just was that the 15 year old that about? is it garrett yeah 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 because um his step i don't want to get it Jimmy. wrong his, yes he yeah because i Jimmy. reached out to Jimmy's me with, the... he reached out to me with uh garrett's story just before king of the lifts got onto it uh so i never right, right, I yeah. ended, ended up running it but um yeah, no, he's an inspiration and yeah, I just, uh, Jimmy, I just, Jimmy, Jimmy, his stepdad is, and a big shout out to, to Garrett, of course, for being the phenomenal kid and amazing lifter he is, but just as big a shout out to Jimmy because he is the man. Jimmy is the man. I cannot, I cannot express how amazing that man is. Mm. So no, I was really inspired. Garrett's heart. That 15, I just checked his Instagram again because I forgot his numbers, but I just checked and for 15 is incredibly impressive. And then also for his body weight, like it's, he's not, he's not a huge 15 year old, you know, like big overweight kid. He's, no, no. That's, he's a light too. So he's, um, he's, I'll shout him out for you guys listening. His Instagram is, I don't know. G money. G money. Yeah. G money strong. I think it is. Is that what it yeah. is? Yeah, yeah, G Money Strong. G Money Strong, spelt how it's meant to be. Yeah, so go check him out. Um, yeah, sponsored athlete. Well, and when, sponsored uh, when athlete. we when we re- when you post this up too, I'll repost it and say like you know people mentioned in this podcast, and I'll also add him so people can find him. Yeah, awesome, definitely. Yeah, I'll do the same. Um, but yeah, no, he is a he is an inspiration. Uh, everything he's been through, and he still trains, and has gotten to where he's at. Um, right now it's it's incredible uh yeah. and uh, for a 15 year old too um the mental toughness uh you know like even even to go through what he went through as an adult would be tough um but to be a kid and to still be so driven and yeah it's incredible um yeah there's, there is if you're listening and you're wondering what we're talking about there's a post on my page uh the thumbnail is uh a hero or something like that scroll down and have a look on the podcast page um it, the the whole story is explained there but yeah um so uh i was gonna ask uh because you did mention this before um or maybe i was just dreaming about it um lifters now a lot of tall lifters love to complain about how tall they are and that's you know whatever uh i'm i'm six three i never complain about um you know you know sometimes when i'm squatting i'm like oh this is a long way down you know like sometimes you feel it particularly conventional deadlifting with a long torso and you know pretty t-rex arms almost um you certainly feel it on the way up there's a the distance traveled you know it's a long way right but you won't catch me complaining about it on social media. What are you going to ask if you coach lifters that are big differences in height, you know, from a, a short dude, average dude, or to, if you coach any really tall guys, do you actually do any, let's say they all have the same lifts. They all pull the same styles. Would you change anything in terms of like volume or exposure for like quite a short lifter that can probably do like a lot more volume uh, to a tall lifter that might, you know, not be able to handle as much. Do you actually change anything or do you just be like, suck it up, deal with it, you know, like you're tall, but 
so what kind a little, of a little bit of both i would look at not only i mean and it's funny because i think any of the guys that i coach that are gonna or program for are gonna listen to this podcast <laughs> and hear me and they'd be like you know the first thing you would say is like suck the fuck up yeah um because because i mean i'm i'm very much like that with my training like um i trained i got in the sport by myself i didn't have a coach for years uh, i don't have a coach now and, and never will have a coach again um like if man, I'm I'm not a hand holder. Like no one held my hand, and I'm damn sure not gonna hold yours. Mm. So I will. I'll be the first one to tell you, suck the fuck up. Mm. But um, at the same time, uh, I would look less at heights, and I would look more at like lifting proficiencies, mm. right? So like, if your lift is suffering because of that, yes, that would make for a possible change in talk. Um, but other than that, definitely not. Like. Mm. For me personally, because I mean, I get so much shit too, because like, um, you know, uh, one of the most things I get asked is how tall are you? Mm. So when, you, when it's funny, because when you're like, if you coach people who are taller than you, dude, I'm five foot five. Everyone's fucking taller than me. <laughs> so like literally yeah. everyone I coach is taller than me. And they're like, oh, man, I thought you were tall. I was like, dude, watch a video of me squat. Everyone Do I look tall? Me, yeah. Yeah. Like everyone walking me back in the monolith is a foot, t- literally a foot taller than me. Mm. It looks like a bunch of giants walking in a child. Mm. So like, um, but I mean, uh, I've, I've kind of experienced this and I, I program like, so let's say I program and I'm working on a new split that I want to run with a couple of my clients. I will Guinea pig. Of course, the split first. I always do. I would never give a client something I wouldn't do myself. Um, but the benefit is now that I have a bigger gym, um, I have people often guinea pig it with me, which mm. is great because then I get to see how that carries over for other lifters before you put it out there and also how it carries for those different heights and leverages. Mm. Right. So like, um, two of my guys right now that are guinea pigging a lot of my stuff right now with me is Tim. He's about a little smidge taller than me. Um, a lot smaller than me as far as body weight goes. Um, but then I also have a football player, Rob, who's you know, well over my height, bigger guy, um, sits between 220, 242, um, you know, very explosive movements, very good, very, very good athlete. Um, and I get to watch how that carries over. And now he pulls sumo and I don't. So, I mean, it's nice to see how these programs change based on, um, you know, who's pulling what style, whose height difference and weight differences make it. And, Typically, um, I will have some that enjoy more programs than others because of that, but I really haven't, you know, had anybody desperately cry out like, oh, shit, I'm tall. This was way too hard Mm. because most of them, especially if you get clients working with RPE, despite them being tall or not, it is still based on RPE and how well they know their body. Mm. So chances are if you're like, wow, this is way too hard because I'm tall, it's probably because you're overshooting the fuck out of your RPE. Mm. I think, and I'll be the first one to tell them that too. Mm, yeah, I mean, a lot of coaches... Oh, that's one thing I see on Instagram. I've definitely said it before, but people will put like, their caption up and it'll be like, RP9, and it's like they barely locked it out. It's like, who? Are you, what do you mean, RP9? Like, you're never going to do another one. And like the coaches don't... I mean, maybe the coaches pull them up about it in private, but like, you know, it's going to say... Yeah, I know. I always... I do always try to pull my people private. Um, if it's a reoccurring thing, I will light your ass up in public. Mm. Um especially on Instagram. I love to do that just to fuck with people. Cause I mean, anybody that works with me knows that's how I am. So, I mean, generally it's, 
you know, a learning moment, but it's also get some good chuckles going too. So, mm. um, I, was I say, would say, mm. what's up? As a tall, I was gonna say as a tall lifter, like personally, um, it, I think more so looking big is probably harder than getting strong. Like it has taken me so long to look like I had quads. I didn't, I, I, my legs look tiny until I squatted 245, uh, kilos, obviously, um, which is not a big squat, but you know, a lot of people squat a lot less with way bigger legs. You know, they look a lot bigger. So I think, uh, while, you know, maybe complaining has its place every once in a while is it's natural. Um, I think looking big, not so much in clothes, because if you have a big, if you're tall, you just have a big frame, you look pretty big in clothes, but looking big with your shirt off as a tall lifter, that's I, like, personally, that's, I found harder than getting strong. Cause like, like you said, if you know, you could just do less, like I'm a tall lifter. And I, when I, I could just get really strong off my conventional deadlift doing three, four sets a week. You know, I've made all my progress on, on conventional deadlift with a top single in prep and three back downs, three back down triples. And that took me, you know, I hit like a fifth, you know, however many kilo PR in, in comp. So it's like, yeah, tooling, being tall can be hard in terms of the movement, but in terms of your overall week of training, you know, you can do less. I was squatting four sets and deadlifting four sets during prep. And for most people, uh, and these are not heavy sets. These aren't, you know, this is a, a single at eight and then, three back downs at eight and a half, nine. Like they're not huge, huge sets. They're not tens or singles at nine. Like these are pretty relatively easy in comparison to most training. Um, and you can just, you know, if, if you're a tall lifter with a, a big distance traveled, you can literally just do less because that distance traveled is exposure. Like I'm holding, you know, I might travel half a meter more on conventional than not half a meter, but you know, 30 centimeters more. Um, right, right. Then, then some people, and it's like, yeah, it sucks when you're doing it, but like a set of three might be their set of seven, in terms of like overall exposure, and and how much progress you can make. So I think, yeah, you can, you know, you know, for example, I, I do, I do a hundred percent agree with that. I really like the way you explain it, and I like the way you think about it. But I also wouldn't want to put that too hard into lifters' heads, where it would give taller people an out as an excuse. No, no, absolutely. Yeah, I agree because uh, I, I think I was gifted. I th- I'm sure there are some tall lifters that need a lot of volume and that must be really, really rough. And that must be a hard time because not only is it a long way to travel on every rep, but you got to do a lot of it. Uh, I mean, it's it's good if you like that sort of thing. If you like volume, awesome. You probably love that. But I think I was gifted with not needing much exposure or volume or intensity or anything really I can I've gained off submaximal work for the past 3 uh, 2 years of powerlifting um but I think distance traveled is something that people don't take into account like yeah I'm all to make I'm I'm all you know oh shut up tall people like go play a different sport if you're so worried like blah 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 you know you know cuz I make fun of, <laughs> I make fun of other people so I'm happy for them to make fun of me when I talk about being tall but I think shorter lifters genuinely do not consider the distance traveled uh, they'd be like, oh, yeah, you're taller, but you've got longer arms. It's like, yeah, but also look how high, high I have to stand up, you know? <laughs> it, there is a little disparity between, you know, like there's a discrepancy, sorry. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not it's not enough to really complain about, but it's definitely there yeah. and I definitely notice it when I'm uh, when I'm doing a conventional pull. Do you have uh, do you have long fingers? 
Uh, I have big hands, I'd say, but not necessarily like, for example, I cannot get into hook grip because my, I got Okay. My... That's what I was going to be one of my questions. Cause like, I notice a lot of taller guys tend to have easier time with hook grip. Mm. No. So I, I can't get my thumb around the bar into hook, even on a deadlift bar, I can just get it. So on a stiff bar, I never, um, but I, it was gifted with grip strength. So I hold it in my fingers anyway and get, and I can, um, like not my fingertips, obviously, but like rather than in my palm, I hold it in the base of my fingers. So oh, I can, yeah, yeah. I can cut a little bit of range of motion. Um, but I mean, again, it's, it's, you know, what Americans use. It's an inch or two at most. Um, right. so it's, yeah, you, you work around it. Um, but yeah, if, if yeah, you're man, listening, I, if- I have little like sausage fingers, man. Like my fingers are short and my hands are really muscular. So it literally, my hands literally push the bar away from me. Mm. So yeah. No, hook, I- hook grip doesn't stand a chance. No, absolutely not. Um, we're getting, oh, I was going to ask you, um, before we wrap up, uh, you, um, you obviously got a lot of tattoos. I was going to ask out of interest. Um, sure. when you got into, I mean, there's obviously so many different meanings behind tattoos and for different people. Uh, how did you, when did you get tattoos and you're like, actually, no, I want to keep, cause I feel like a lot of people get tattoos and they're like, oh yeah, I want to keep doing this. And I feel like I probably, I don't have any and I haven't really thought about getting one, but if I did, I feel like I'd be like, oh yeah, I want to get more, you know? Um, cause they can be so cool. Uh, how did you get into doing that? And like, are you, are you finished? Like, are, are you done with getting more or are you still got uh, room left? <laughs> I'm, I'm still filling in the nooks and crannies. Mm. Um, I'm still going. No, I, I would definitely want an entire bodysuit. Mm. Um, oh yeah. Cause you design yours. Hey, you draw them. Yeah. Yeah. So like I draw for the foundation like I draw for the kids. I do freelance commissions. I work for barefoot. So like art is still a huge part of my life. Like mm. um, I love doing like, we just, I'm part of our new job. I, of course I did all the designs for the t-shirts, but like one of my favorite things that people like, I don't know. Like for me, I think it's one of the coolest things in every drop is when I do new vinyl stickers and like, just like the really cool designs, like with the high gloss on top of them. Like I love like two to three inch, like mini vinyls and stuff that you can do on water bottles or whatever. Like that's probably one of my favorite things. Like for the meat, we did these, uh, they're like four inch, like pinup cowgirls Mm. and they, they're fucking amazing. Like they're probably one of my favorite things I've released. Um, but a lot of the stickers and stuff kind of fly under the radar, except for the kids, the kids love them. Mm-hmm. But, um, I used to work when I was doing my masters in British literature, I actually was working at a tattoo shop and just kind of helping out and stuff and drawing and doing a lot of stuff in my spare time, um, and painting still. So like, that was like a big part of my life. And then of course, like after work, it was kind of like, Hey, do you want to get paid? Or you just want to get tattooed and like, you know, working in a shop and being around that kind of culture, like, um, you know, you just keep getting tattooed and then like it turned in something for me and I, I really enjoyed it. And I think I'm one of those people that um, with almost everything in my life, like I enjoy things that take extremely long periods of time. Mm. So like, um, you know, getting better at powerlifting, uh, expanding your business, getting an entire bodysuit of tattoos, like all these things take sacrifice they take time they take discipline like and i know that's weird to think about with tattoos but it's like you know that's hours and hours and hours of sitting in a chair it's hours of like extremely painful spots like what was know, the most painful course, spot yeah i'll say that's that's like literally my favorite question my kids get love to ask me they're like mm. mr rogers dude like like if if we have a casual friday and i wear like khaki shorts and a polo so they can see my legs they're like yeah. 
oh my god they're like which which one of those hurt the worst i bet your legs are terrible Hmm. um i would say uh my top five would be like um my sternum i absolutely hated my sternum that was oh, like yeah I bet, hey, there's no there's like not much uh fat or anything no, there's not even no a muscle you can there. like yeah you can hear it in the bone it's disgusting oh, yeah, does it vibrate like your whole chest yes yeah yeah it makes you feel like you're gonna throw up oh man um uh the top the very top of my head like i had um pharaoh's horses done by mm. my friend robbie that owns explosive yeah it was his first tattoo he ever did on me he owns the shop and i was like dude I really want to do my head and I'm going to run out of room because I had all the sides of my head done and most of the like big spots on my body done. I was like, if you want to do the top of my head, like I'd love for you to do it because I, I want a big piece from you before I run out of room. And so we killed it in like one afternoon, man. He, sh- he did the whole thing in like two hours. Um, but I remember a point in that tattoo. I was like, dude, if you, if you tell me you have 20 more minutes at, on this, like we're going to have to stop. Like I'm going to pass out. Mm. Um, Cause it just, it just, dude, like you start trembling, like your whole body's trying to fight it. Mm. Um, and that's not even number one. No, no, no. Uh, so I'd say sternum, uh, top of the head, um, getting my ribs colored was awful. Like, oh. so I have a, I have a leopard split. So like the ass end and the hind legs and the tail are on one side of my ribs. And then it mm. does like an old school, like split. And then the head and the front paw and the claws are on the other side that run through my rib cage. And I, so I got both sides colored in the same day. Um, and it was absolutely like, even my buddy that was doing it, he's like, dude, I haven't seen you like ball up in like almost cringe, like fetal position style for like almost any tattoo I've done on you. And that was probably one of the ones that did me in. That was pretty bad. Um, back, uh, the back of your knee ditches. Oh no. Oh yeah, man. I of, yeah, I have the backs of my knee ditches oh. with two uh Japanese masks uh that mirror each other and that was um that was pretty tragic. <laughs> that was pretty awful. Man. Um we did limited color. We did like I think we did maybe black, gray and red and that was it. And mm. I was like, dude, like pick two colors. Like I don't want any more than that. Like it's a oh. spot where I wrap my knees and my knees are going to get beat up. So I was like I don't want bright colors because I know they're fade. Just throw red and black and just blast that shit. And um, that was pretty brutal. Um, kneecaps. Kneecaps yeah. were bad. I, yeah, that, like the, I was thinking, as you said, back in the knee, I was like, wouldn't the front hurt more? They, they, I don't know. It's weird. Like, dude, your legs just period aren't fun. Like, I have my entire hamstrings done. Like, your hamstrings suck ass. Like, your butt sucks. I have my giant Japanese peonies on my butt, and they're terrible. Yeah. Like there's a reason you get your ass spanked as a kid because you have more nerve endings there and you feel pain and it's no different when you get your butt tattooed. Mm. So, um, it's all, it's all not fun. Yeah. It's not fun, man. But, uh, like once you commit yourself to it, it's like, it's just kind of another thing, man. You're like, all right, well, what terrible ass spot do I have left that I'm going to get filled today? Yeah. Well, man, um, yeah, that's incredible. (laughs) And and, and I do, I love, um, you're, great artist i've i've seen some of your stories um you know you'll be drawing or whatever and it's actually very impressive guys if you haven't go check out the designs he does um but yeah man thanks heaps for coming on i gotta wrap i gotta go uh my one of my lifters is competing so he got his last heavy oh, bench. his last That's heavy awesome. bench so i gotta go coach him through that right now um but yeah thanks heaps for coming on i really enjoyed it man uh, this is this episode has been in the works for 
I mean, we we had a we had a time and something <laughs> happened and then you know and, and it didn't almost work today because Zoom wouldn't work and now my camera hasn't worked. Um, but you know, we finally got it done. I, there's plenty more we could talk about. I'd love to have you back on one day. Um, yeah, man, absolutely. I'd love to dig into some more uh, nitty gritty aggressive yeah, stuff. Uh, I, uh, some I, of your some of your favorite posts of mine are the ones that are like. Um, what is it? It's like uh, what they say versus what they mean. Yeah, yeah, dude, those are hysterical. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you. I um, look, I, there's there's a there's a quite a high level of irony to the account. I love to post stuff that takes the piss out of people. I think people think I'm being mean a lot of the time, but um, I like honestly. If, if I met, you know, let's say I post about someone, you know, indirectly and, and they do something that's really annoying or cringe or whatever. If I met them in person, I'd still be just as nice to them. Like a lot of the stuff, I all the stuff I post comes from a, a light place and it's it's for the algorithm. It's to it's literally just to promote the, the episodes. I want you guys to listen and it's, it's worked. It's worked, you know. Um, but yeah, no, I, those, those posts do well The um, you know, cause well, that, this, this was like the fun, like meet and greet episode. I'd love to be back on one where it was like, all right, we'll do a part two. And it's just the mean episode where we I would, just take the piss out of people. I'd love to do that. with Let's, you. let's absolutely do that. Let's find a time for that. Um, because there <laughs> is, yeah, when I was writing the topics, I was like, there's so much like, uh, you know, surface level stuff we can talk about, but yeah, obviously there's, you know, very nitty gritty, uh, training and social media stuff we can get into. Um, but oh yeah. yeah, I would love to cover that show with you. Let's do that. Um, yeah, thanks again, man. I'll uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this up tomorrow. Um, so I think Sunday for you guys, and it'll be Monday for uh, us Australians. We're a day ahead of you guys, but um, yeah, have a have a great night, man. And thanks again. Hey, hey, before really you flip it. off, uh, turn yeah? your camera on real quick. Oh, hang on. Uh, put my let's see, see if my laptop one will come on there we go yeah there we go yeah because i wanted to grab a uh, screenshot of the picture with you so i can oh let me get the let me get that out hang on let me uh let's uh let me just put it up higher for you before i end the episode let's let's go let's try that all right that cool, man. Awesome. <laughs> yeah that's awesome awesome yeah. thank you very much um, yeah man absolutely i'll catch you later cool dude have a good one man you too